on the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to a weekly edition of the Red Raiders Podcast. Covering Texas Tech football, I'm Don Williams from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal Sports Department, Texas Tech beat writer, and joined as always by AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva Jr. Uh, we're recording this on a, on a Wednesday, about halfway in between uh, the week. Uh, Texas Tech getting ready to face Kansas State Saturday um, in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, KSU coming off a 38-35 come from behind victory against Oklahoma on Saturday. Texas Tech coming off a um, 63-56 loss in overtime Saturday against the University of Texas. And Red Raiders going to uh, going into Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Before we get to that, Carlos, uh, I guess maybe we can do a quick recap of Texas Tech and UT, which had that game ended with three minutes left in regulation on Saturday. We will be talking about a uh, uh, a signature victory for Matt Wells. Uh, they were led 56 to 41 after uh, Sir Robert Thompson went 75 yards for a touchdown late in that game. Which uh, you did and tweet, if I'm not mistaken, you said uh, call it call it a game or something. I can't remember what the tweet was, but you thought it was over, just like a lot of people. Which technically it could have, but a lot of crazy sequence of events happened that uh, did not allow for that game to kind of close out for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And everyone kind of looks towards that last three minutes and 13 seconds where there was an onside kick that wasn't able to to get uh, picked up. Um, there was also a squid kick or a sky kick that wasn't uh, – or that was mishit uh, by the kickoff specialist. And I, I guess for you, Don, I know I talked about it with David and uh, Ryan. You, you kind of already alluded to what I had mentioned. I mean, you, you literally go from – hero biggest win of your Lubbock tenure to can in a close game because that's been one thing that at least from you and I kind of paying attention to this is there have been so many one possession two possession crazy type games that Matt Wells has just not been able to be on the right side of history on I mean you look at Baylor from last year you look at Kansas from last year whether it's a last second play or just something else it's just one of those deals where you got to figure out at some point you have to pull these out because if not, it's uh, all about wins and losses. And right now, everyone's kind of looking at that loss right now, especially to a in-state rival to Texas. Yeah, since Matt Wells got here, now one and five in games decided by a touchdown or less. And where did it go wrong on Saturday? It's interesting that the uh, flashpoint for all the criticism has been that decision to uh, uh, go with a sky kick after the yeah. Uh, after the touchdown, and made it 56 to 41. So let's break that down for a moment. Um, a reason why they did what they did is you don't want the football in the hands of, of uh, Deshaun James, who's one of the better return guys in the Big 12. He has a, in his career, he has, has a kickoff return for a touchdown. He has a punt return for a touchdown. And earlier in that game, when he kicked it deep to him, the one time that he got his hands on the football, he returned it 42 yards, and he was about one. Uh, oh, one guy away from taking that to the house. And I think that kind of stayed in the back of their mind after they saw that. It is, let's not put the football in his hands again. And you saw in the fourth quarter then, um, in the fourth quarter, they tried a, uh, they went with a squib kick that was line drive and the tight end, the same guy who caught the sky kick later, the tight end caught the ball, basically fell on it, downed it at the 
uh, some neighborhood of the 21, 25 yard line, something like that. Mm-hmm. So you don't think you don't think anything about it. And they try another after touchdown after that squib kick again, fielded at the fourteen yard line, returned to the thirty five, and so at that point, Anton, you know, Deshaun Jameson's return from earlier in the day was the was the deepest kick return in the in the game for Texas. So I don't have a problem with it. The, the thing about it is Trey Wolf miss hits does not hit it the way he should because in that case you're looking for a kick to to let come down at about the twenty yard line. You're looking for it to come down about the twenty yard line. And your cover gives your coverage team time to converge, and so there's either you either force the guy to fair catch it, maybe he mishandled it and, and, and muffs it, or again because your coverage team has converged, doesn't have room for much return anyway. So they get the ball to the 41 yard line because because of the mishap they get the ball to the 41 yard line, then the defense does not you know doesn't do its job, and then you have the uh, onside kick that Zach McFer- goes through Zach McPherson's hands. Mm-hmm. So I asked, why do you have Zach McPherson there? He's a defense. Why don't you have all wide receivers there? Well, yeah. no, no. Zach McPherson's a cornerback. He's a skill position player. It's not like he can't catch a football. Yep. So I don't really have a problem with that. Now, the question there though is, should Zach McPherson have been trying to field that ball, or is he, or does he need to let that one go through because T.J. Vasher was in the next row? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can make that case. But the biggest thing to me though was. It seemed like, uh, and maybe it's human nature, again, because it was 56 to 41, you have a lead, there's three minutes left. Yeah. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking it's over. And I think maybe their team didn't consciously think that, but there was, they had expended so much energy at that point, you know, outscoring Texas 28 to 3 at, at, at that point, that outscored Texas mm-hmm. 28 to 3, they expended so much energy at that point. I think there was an emotional letdown and, uh, and, Tech comes charging back, and I, there's there's one other thing I want to get to real quickly, and that is, you know, said why why, why three man rush? There's too much three man rush and dropping eight. Well, when Tech was making its charge, the three man rush was wearing out Texas defense, Texas offense yep. wrong. They were having a ton of success with that. Yeah, with uh, Howard and, Wilson, they were doing they were doing really good work on the ends, man. They were that's doing- where yeah, that's where their success was coming from. Was yep. the three man rush. Um, so, uh, and Keith Patterson said, you're having so much success at that point, then why, then why change? Um, and I think with a quarterback like Ellinger and the nature of their receiver, the talent of their receivers in that situation, maybe you want eight guys to be able to be there to make the tackle, you know, more, mm-hmm. more guys in coverage. Uh, so that, those are kind of. There's kind of my thoughts. I have a couple more, but uh, I'll let you jump back in here. Well, I I think the interesting thing that you bring up is, and I know a lot of coaches like to use the term. Some people think it's kind of used too much in sports as a cliche goes, but I think there was a lot of momentum. And I think the crescendo was that 75-yard touchdown by Sir Roderick, where I think not only was there just a huge expulsion of just uh, elation by the crowd that was there, um, but it looked like the team just had a bunch of relief because they were finally able to get that lead. They were finally able to put a little bit of an extension on the lead. And unfortunately, it was just, like you said, just a, a small, man, I, I can't even think of the word, but just a, a very interesting sequence of events that just leads you to 
to where you think in three minutes you can just worst case you you run you run your system or your offense and, and you're good but that offensive uh pardon me the, the onside kick is really what kind of changed it i thought because it gave them an extra yeah, if, you, if you recover the onside kick it's over yeah and, and and i think that's the tough thing and frankly and, and i think you and i discussed this after the game too it's just like are you really talking about it or are people still upset if you Again, for lack of a better term, and, and you know I don't like doing this, but it's like with the Cliff Kingsbury-type team, this would have been a 20-point loss potentially with the way that they were playing, the defense that they had. It, it was mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that's a fair uh, a fair uh, way to put it because, remember, Cliff Kingsbury won in Austin. I mean, he well, correct. Longhorn, so. Correct, but, but, but there were times where they were outmatched, so to speak, and they would lose by 20 because, again, you're trying to obviously either catch up or you just make a mistake because you're doing those catch-ups and you're throwing the ball a little bit more, whereas Texas Tech was trying to run it out. And, again, for, for all we know, and here's another small little point, what if Sir Roderick slides at the four or five and you have a couple more runs? Again, just so many small little things. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, let's, 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 talk, let's talk about that. Some people brought that up. What if, if, if Sir Roderick Thompson takes a knee at the three-yard line? Yeah. Well, uh, then uh, Texas is able to run a little more clock. Texas only has one timeout. Um, and you go ahead and score the touchdown, but more clock is used, and um, Texas has, left time, has less time to make a comeback. But – yeah, it's not automatic that you score. Yeah, yeah what if you fumble? It's not, yeah, exactly. What if you yeah. fumble? It's not automatic to score from the one-yard line. Ask uh, Ernest By- Ask Cleveland Browns fans about Ernest Biner's fumble. Ask Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson what can go wrong at the one-yard line. Well, well you got to run the ball first, Don. They're all well, the, uh, slant. Probably true, but but that's the but point, though, point being, Correct. yeah, he could, have, he could have ran out of bounds or he could have uh, fallen down at the one, but – yeah. It's not automatic that, that you're going to get the touchdown. And then if it, a disaster happens there, yeah, can you imagine the outrage? Yeah. Again, I honestly think the outrage is more the fact that, again, for lack of a better term, I think most people didn't think Texas Tech would be in this game as they were, much less take a lead that late. And I think that's what is really the – source of all the angst and anger from some of the tech fans. But I, I, I think one thing that you can take away from this loss, not a moral victory, so to speak, but I think Texas Tech realizes it has the athletes to compete in the Big 12. Uh, certainly, I think they realize that they have the offense to compete in the Big 12. I mean, when you have nine big passing plays in the game, you have two Rushing, big, big rushing plays, a 10 and a 75-yarder, that, that's something you probably want to add a little bit more. But the fact that they were able to get the ball to their playmakers in terms of the offense, that being Alan Bowman to T.J. Vasher, Eric Ezekonma, and all those guys, yes, he did. Keyshawn Carter, yeah. Come yeah, yeah, Keyshawn Carter. I was going to say, they have uh, one guy with 13 catches, one guy with 12 catches, one guy with 11 yeah. catches. And I think the bright spots in, in that group, Keyshawn Carter is kind of elevating after he finished strong. At the end of the last season, now he's put two good games together to start this year. And a month ago, remember, there was all this – six weeks ago, there was a bunch of concern about T.J. Vasher. Yeah. Uh, not practicing. Is T.J. going to be on the team this year? Seems so, fine. You know, now he's come out in the first two games and, you know, eight catches in the first game and uh, two impressive touchdown plays against the Longhorns. Because the has been consistent so far the first couple of games, so I think – 
that position looks good. And, and the thing that, uh, but I think the biggest positive that I, I take away from a personnel standpoint, and I agree with you that Tech can com- next season has the athletes to compete in the Big 12, but yeah. all, uh, must save upgraded in the defensive front seven because now you look at the linebackers and yeah. John Merriweather looks like he is what he was built to be, tackling machine yeah. with a linebacker. Um, Brandon Randall has made plays in the first two games, has been mm-hmm. pretty impressive as a, uh, as a linebacker against defending the pass. Uh, Colin Schooler, your first chance to see him on Saturday, he made seven tackles. Yep. Um, uh, you know, Rico Jeffers is a senior. And the guy that, that we wrote about today that really uh, had no idea he was going to be an impact player, but looks like he could be, is Jacob Morgenstern, because uh, when mm-hmm. he came to Duke, he had eight career tackles, and the word was he, he's a special teams guy. Good special teams guy, but he's a special yeah. teams guy. Mm-hmm. And, and now they run him out there on defense as an outside linebacker, and he made five tackles the other day, and one of those was a tackle behind the line. And the other one, he's flipping B. John Robinson when Robinson tries to hurdle him. And um, he blocks the punt. Yep. But the actual, you know, Texas explanation was, okay, at Duke, he was – they had a four-two-five defense, so the only place they really saw fit to play him was as an inside linebacker, and that's not really what he is. He is an outside linebacker. And Texas, you know, as Keith Patterson said, when they looked at him, they saw – they said he, he – said. He fits Texas Tech system much more than he fits Duke's system. So there's about you know five or six linebackers that look like they can really play, and then you have uh, and then the guy who just wowed who just wowed me and I think some other people is Tyree Wilson. He only played yeah. about twenty snaps the other day, and um, he was almost unblockable on a couple of them. Yeah, you could just yeah. back those Texas Texas offensive linemen on a couple of them. I mean, those Texas tackles look like they're on roller skates. I mean, you're yeah. 6280 who uh, has power and can really move and uh, he uh, you know they run the uh, a, a twist where he uh, starts outside and comes up the middle gets a sack uh, another third down play he kind of collapses the edge and forces Sam Ellinger to step up and Eli Howard and Taylor Hutchings are waiting for him for another sack mm-hmm. and the third down play that down there on tax end he gets away from his the pass protector and chases Ellinger to the sideline. Mm-hmm. Gives Ellinger releases it. He tackles him. Incomplete pass. And that's a guy that yeah. And I'm kind of uh, generally reluctant to uh, jump out there and predict great things for any that's guy fair. after after the first once or one or two times I see him. Yeah. Well, when I look at Tyree Wilson and the way he played, that looks like the kind of guy that doesn't come to Texas Tech. That's the kind of guy that goes – that looks like uh, Alabama, goes Ohio A&M. State. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's yes, the kind of guy that looks like he has Alabama, Ohio State ability. I mean, 6'6", yeah. and run yeah. at power. Yeah. Um, you could have him for four years. Yeah. And uh, he looks like the kind of guy who can be really – I mean, who can be a multi-year All-Big 12 kind of talent if, uh, you know, if everything – if he's properly motivated and, uh, and really uh, – Works hard to get the most out of his ability. He looks like a guy who, uh, you know, you say the sky's the limit for a lot of people. Sometimes maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but this guy looks like a big time talent at a play at a position where Tech has uh, desperately needed it for a decade now. 
Well, certainly if you can uh, rush three down linemen, that'll help you because like you said, you got so many more covering. And when you have more guys covering in the Big 12 where passing is probably the uh, number one thing you're looking for, that will certainly help you. But we'll see how that kind of turns out. We saw how it almost worked out for Texas Tech against Texas. Um, Other than that last 313, I guess, was there anything else you kind of wanted to mention before we move on to Kansas State, Don? No, I guess let's, let's shift it to Kansas State. Yeah, because I mean, uh, like I said, I'm I'm sure they they uh, tech fans along with Oklahoma fans because I mentioned it because Collier and uh, King were there, kind of mentioned. Uh, I'm sure they're tired of hearing that their team lost already. So, you know, the Texas of Tech and KSU and Carlos, I think, I think to me, is a big. Uh, we got to about this on Monday and ask Matt Wells about it on Monday. To me, kinda, I think one of the big keys in this game is going to be the matchup of team psyches. Does yeah. uh, Does Kansas State? Uh, uh, stay level-headed after, obviously, they've been hearing about all the great things that they did uh, for the last few days, and deservedly so. They were down 35-14, to 14 and they went 38-35 to 35 at OU. And does Texas, Texas Tech, is Texas Tech able to put the disappointment of the loss and how they lost behind them and give it a, a good go on Saturday in Manhattan? If they do, then and I'm actually I'm actually picking Tech in this game. I think uh, yeah, I think they missed out last week. Maybe they uh, they follow it. They finish the job this week. Well, certainly they have the confidence because I I think again you, you can't miss or uh, not state this enough. But I think the fact that Texas Tech saw that they were leading by more than two scores over a top ten ranked opponent, I think has to bring you some sort of confidence, something that allows you to, again, I'm going to continue to say this, they realize that they finally have talent to where they can compete in the Big 12, and I think that in itself is huge. And uh, just to kind of go to your point, I think it's interesting that these two teams are playing each other for the same reason that you talked about, that they're really mirror images minus the fact of their last week uh, results. They were big. Uh, they were big favorites in their non-conference games, which turned out to be a lot closer than it should have. Obviously, uh, Kansas State lost theirs. Texas Tech won theirs. But in the next game, uh, they took both of the AP Top 25 teams to the, the top three teams in the Big 12. Yeah, and, and one closed and the other one didn't. So I think that's uh, kind of the, the interesting factor here is the psyche, and I really think that could be a big deal, and it could show a little bit of what Matt Wells has been talking about and kind of what you talked about in your column, which I thought was interesting, is that people are just tired of this-ish. For people that know slang, they know what I just said. I'm trying to keep this PG. But um, I think they're just tired of the same old, as people like to use, typical tech, where you feel like you've got some momentum, you feel like you're doing something, and then all of a sudden just something happens. And I think – Texas certainly could have been a huge coop or feather in the cap for Matt Wells and company, but I think getting a win in Manhattan, a place where Texas Tech has been pretty good at maybe back in the day, but certainly the the recent times have been tough on them. And I think just getting a road victory just overall is going to be huge for Texas Tech because obviously it gets you back back in the saddle. You're at 500 in Big 12 play. And not only that, but then you're going to get a win over a team that you know, was good enough to beat Oklahoma, which, again, brings you a little bit of confidence knowing that if you can beat this team, you can beat any team on any given Big 12 weekend. Yeah, so I guess uh, kind of taking a quick look at Kansas State's personnel quarterback, a guy that you are very familiar with. You've seen him for four years now, Skylar Thompson, running the show again. And I was looking at K-State's notes and 
He's uh, now has three career victories at quarterback over AP top ten teams. I was about to say, so, big game quarterback, number ten Oklahoma State, number five Oklahoma, and the third ranked Sooners. Yeah, and you know the thing about it, I think I think he's a guy who probably deserves more credit than he gets. A lot of people look at Skylar Thompson; he doesn't wow you. They think he doesn't have he doesn't normally put up huge numbers. Yeah, people think he's a you know a game manager, so to speak. Um, but I think solid quarterback, a guy who's kind of kind of like uh, Sam Ellinger in that uh, he's he's a dual threat, not a guy necessarily to take it to the house, but a guy that if you have him in third and eight uh, and he sees a crease, he can go run for twelve yards and just uh, leave you kicking yourself, keeping the chains moving. He, he's he's athletic enough, mobile enough to be dangerous with his legs, and then has obviously. Uh, you can throw the football well enough to move you down the field. That they don't have a great, they don't have any individual superstar talent, but it's kind of some of the same guys whose names are kind of familiar: uh, Malik Knowles and Joaquin Gill, inside slot guy. Joshua Youngblood is a big kick return guy. Yep. Um, nobody that has uh, Philip Philip Brooks, another little guy who. who who they use in the special teams. The wide receivers, like I say, are solid guys, not guys that really, really wow you. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of had a new guy break on the scene last week, and that was uh, Deuce Vaughn. Who's yep. 22, as Matt Wells calls him. Yeah, five foot five inches tall, a Texas kid from Cedar Park. And uh, had some huge plays in the Oklahoma games, like five five and 168. I think it's- Cedar Ridge. Pardon. Yeah. Round Rock Cedar Ridge, yeah. yeah. And the thing mm-hmm. and the thing thing that impressed me about him is uh, one or two of those big runs. He's a kid who's like I say, he's he's small, five five, and I think they list him at one sixty eight. Yeah. But he can be hard to knock off his feet because there was one of those one of his big plays where, you know, two or three guys had shots at him and he looked like he was down and whoop, nope. Yeah. And he's he's up and he's recovered his balance and, and there he goes. He's gone. So um it was kind of his coming out party the other day. I tell, I tell you what, though, the thing, the thing about Kansas State, and you want to know, okay, how does Texas – for Texas Tech to win, what do they have to do against KSU? And that is not lose special teams. And and, and that is – Yes, every year. I was going to say, it's, yeah. uh, probably every, every team says that. Yeah. And it's much easier said than done because uh, Joshua Youngblood, who we mentioned one of the wide receivers, three kickoff return touchdowns last year. Mm-hmm. All American, All American, Big Twelve Special Teams Player of the uh, Players of Player of the Year, and it seems like even now they transition from Bill Snyder and Bill Snyder. There's known for scoring on special teams and defense, and now yep. Chris Lehman's era, they've been able to maintain that, and so they're really dangerous in the return game. Uh, very good senior kicker in Blake Lynch. He hit the after he got 35-35 on Saturday. He hit the fifty yarder to win it, yep. and. Uh, they do have. He also had a fifty-eight yarder last year against Tech. Yeah, I mean he's been consistent. Yeah. Great career numbers for Blake Lynch. They did uh, their punter last year was a senior, so they got a new. Mm-hmm. They have a new punter this year. His name is Ty Zentner, Z-E-N-T-N-E-R. He can make the. Uh, I'll let you fill in the punchline there, Carlos. Zentner's daughter. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> when he whenever he has a child, I hope he has his daughter. So uh, yeah, well, and hopefully, they can, uh, and hopefully they can revive that San Angelo restaurant because if I'm not mistaken, it is now gone. Done. So I, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, here's the thing. I, th- I think it's two teams that are pretty evenly matched, and that's how Vegas sees it. Yeah. Vegas has Kansas State as a two and a half point favorite, which normally the uh, team that's the home team is, gets about a field goal edge. So what the Vegas is telling you is these two teams are basically uh, flip a co- it's flip a coin. And it's and, so interesting too at this current time because you never know if your star guy is going to be out, not necessarily for an injury too. Like it's just interesting that it's that close to where it's almost a toss up, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and uh, Texas Tech, I guess, you know, Matt, as Matt Wells the other other day about, we, we've yet to see DeMarcus Fields, we've yet to see McLean Mannix. Yeah. He, this year, during the COVID stuff, has said he's not going to talk about guys who have not been on the field. He said he'll talk about DeMarcus Fields when he gets back on the field. Yeah. He indicated, though, that he didn't think anybody, that anybody currently is down long term. Yeah. Uh, which he normally will acknowledge if somebody's going to be out for the long haul. And uh, I guess we should add, you know, one of those guys, when he left the field on Saturday, it was Dalton Rigdon. Looked mm-hmm. like it could be a potentially serious injury because Dalton was holding his ribs. But uh, Matt Wells on Monday said he did not think Dalton Rigdon would be out that long. So, Although, although but again, obviously not, not a good thing, but you certainly have a lot of guys that can step up in his absence. I mean, you look at Miles Price, a guy that you had asked Matt Wells about, he's a guy that could certainly fill in his spot with the with, with his shiftiness. I think that was the big thing. I saw that on that one play on Saturday. Yeah. yeah him and Jadarius Townsend are certainly two shifty guys that could find their way into either an inside receiver. I know Townsend is more of a running back right now, but I think Xavier Wilson – with the way he played a little bit and the way he ran, I think he could probably probably be that number two for Sir Roderick, and you just got to find that third down back to kind of be either that scat back or guy that can kind of catch it out of the backfield. But certainly I, I thought that there were a lot of positives from the offense last week. It's just a matter of, like like you had said, Don, you just got to finish it off. And can they finish it off against a Kansas State squad that is coming off one of their biggest victories and not only that, but I think uh, people tend to forget, and I, and I think you kind of brought it up with Skylar Thompson, him not getting enough credit, back-to-back wins over Oklahoma. So it's not like you're just beating them on the road or at home, like you're beating them both ways. And uh, Oklahoma's not a team that loses much. So certainly something to look forward to. Um, I, I do agree with you in terms of all the offense, all the special teams. I certainly think with the way Texas Tech played special teams, they did their homework because there is, man, they must have seen something on the tape to tell them that Trey Wolf could have squib kicked that and be able to baseball slide right in front of the guy because that, that is a small tell that you notice in film. But certainly it was executed correctly. The thing that I want to see is can Texas Tech take advantage of those situations because as Matt Wells mentioned during his press conference, Alan Bowman the next play throws an interception, a little deep, underthrown, which didn't help and allowed the – uh Texas defensive back to intercept it. But I think that, that that's the one thing to kind of look at right now is just can you take advantage or can you take a big lead against Kansas State? Because then at that point, you're going to try and do what you were trying to do at the end of the Texas game, which is run the football with Roderick Thompson. And it seemed like he did it pretty well. Yeah. So, um, how about ready to move on to questions? 
Uh, I, I was going to see if you had anything to say about their defense because I thought it was – I know everyone's going to talk about that comeback, but you, you only make that comeback if your defense holds Oklahoma to seven points, and that's in that I, I want to say it was the fourth or a little bit of the third quarter. I, I think they went on like a 31-7 to seven run, and I thought – Well, tw- that scored the last 24 points of the game. So there you Oklahoma, go, yeah. I think they held Oklahoma scoreless last in the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. Defensively, uh, uh, key matchup for me to watch is, will, will be uh, your your tackles against uh, their defensive ends, particularly Wyatt Hubert. He hadn't put up – Wyatt Hubert's a junior. Looks like Eli Howard has the hair coming out the helmet. He's wearing yep. number 56. Or Colin Schooler. About the same – yeah, or Colin yeah. Schooler. He's about the same size as Eli Howard. The guy who's been really good his first two years, he was a freshman All-American two years ago. He was all Big 12 last year. Um, guy who plays with a lot of energy, um, real solid defensive end. So he will be, uh, from what I watched of the OU game, normally lined up against the left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be Ethan Card or Caleb. There's Martin. a lot of movement, too. I think uh, that, that that should be said, too, Don. There was a lot of movement. Dawson Deaton moved out. Ethan Card had to move a little bit. You had, uh, well, I, th- I think Deaton – I think Deaton a little bit. I think Deaton was just kind of a, a little a little dinged. I mean, when he's healthy, he's your center. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, tackles-wise, will it be Caleb Rogers? Will it be Ethan Card this week or will it be Caleb Rogers this week? Yeah. When, when one of those guys is probably going to – you can see a whole bunch of Wyatt Hubert, and that's going to be a key matchup because uh, you can't let him be uh, uber disruptive. Um, he's going to have a sack probably. He's going to have a couple of pressures, but you can't let him uh, live live in the backfield. And then the other thing, uh, from a ring game standpoint, uh, you know, Matt Wells was real complimentary the other day of the linebackers. Justin Hughes in the middle, number 32, yeah. and uh, 22. Daniel Green, um, guys, he, he's impressed by their speed. Um, I did note that um, on the Oklahoma K State broadcast the other day, they mentioned that K State was missing for that game. You know, five guys out of the two D. That's right. And, and on the back end too, defensive backs. Yeah, the, back <laughs> yeah, yeah. the defensive backs. And so if they can get, you know, if they can neutralize Hubert in the pass rush, then this should be a, this could be a game, should be a game where um, Alan Bowman has some, big, has some great opportunities with Vasher and Carter and Ezekiel and all those guys. Because K-State was starting, one of K-State's starting quarter, cornerbacks the other day was a kid who they said he was normally 13, was a third stringer. That was where they were uh, depleted. Now, of course, I guess obviously the best, the best, the ideal situation would have been to see those guys last week. Who knows? You know, they may get yeah. two or three of those guys back this week. And it's funny you mentioned TJ Vasher because I totally forgot that there was a guy uh, for Arkansas State when they played him. He was about 6'6, Jonathan A. Uh, Adams, pardon me, 98 yards, three touchdowns. He was a big bodied wide receiver. And I think if they're able to get now, now, again, this is just obviously the matchups that they had, but I think if you're able to get T.J. Vasher either in the red zone situation like you do, but I think there's going to be some great opportunities for Alan Bowman to find T.J. Vasher, especially in this uh, defensive uh, set that Kansas State has had, whether obviously they're depleted or, or they got they have all their guys. I think T.J. Vasher is certainly a, an advantage for Texas Tech going into this one as well. Yeah. 
Okay, let's go. Let's move on to questions. Oh God, I, I, I don't have the questions, Carlos. I, oh, you don't? Okay, so well, I guess okay, I so, through, uh, I so kind of, I'm going to make sure yeah. I say this correctly because I got chastised for this by Zach Duncan because I called him a Wichita High assistant coach. He's actually Wichita Wichita Falls writer assistant coach. So I apologize, Mr. Duncan, but he's kind of putting us on the spot because he, he asked me this earlier and I forgot to look it up and I thought it'd only be fair for you and me to kind of do this off the cuff. Can you name or what are your top three TJ Vasher catches? And he is alluding to obviously that toe tap that he had against Texas, which I'm not sure that one got in the top 10, but he certainly had his fair share of catches that have been on the ESPN top 10. The one that I can recall is the one where he, he uh, stretched out against Ole Miss. I don't know mm-hmm. if you recall yeah. some other ones. I think there was one against West Virginia where he was falling backwards, I believe, in the end zone back. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Ole Miss. Ole Miss was the first one that comes to my mind where he's using every, you know, diving, using the full wingspan, going back, yeah. brings it in. I think that's the one everybody thinks about first, but you're, you're, I'm glad you remember that one, the West Virginia one, where he was falling backwards at the goal line against uh, Kenny Robinson. I believe Kenny Robinson's in the NFL now. Yeah. Had, had another one against Texas. Was it the one where it was a little bit underthrown to him by, uh, I can't remember the name, uh, McLean Manning? No, uh, McLean Carter underthrew him, but he still had to, like, bring his uh, arm all the way back, and it was almost Odell Beckham-like. I'm, I'm, again, I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now. but I'm, Well, the one, the one I remember against Texas was his touchdown down in Austin in 2017. Oh, horns down, and, and does the horns down. Yeah. Yes, he, and, he he turned into a very into a very popular uh, fan favorite after that, from what I've been told. So, yeah. so so there's that one. Uh, yeah, it's that main two main two that I remember would be or main ones that I remember would be the one against Ole Miss, the one at West Virginia, those two that you alluded to, and and like I said, the one, the one on Saturday was something else because it was just right. textbook. Oh, now to catch a pass like that. I mean, he, oh, and he knew exactly where he was. And he, you had even mentioned it. Like he had to, I can't remember the term he used, but basically he, I guess, tacked his foot down. Like he knew he had to smash his foot into the, into the turf to make sure that he got mm-hmm. possession mm-hmm. mandate in there. Um, a, a little less lighthearted, more uh, serious. Why is our 2021 recruiting class so much smaller than the rest of the big 12 besides TCU? I would just assume it's early. I'm sure there's plenty of other guys. I know I saw Ty Buchanan, well, uh, offensive lineman from Corpus Christi, uh, mention that he has a decision tomorrow. So my guess is he may be committing to someone. Tech is in his top ten. So. Well, um, let's uh, think about it. Yeah, there's seven. There's 17 seniors on the team this year. Yep. And all 17 will have the option to come back because mm-hmm. NCAA is not. Uh, NCAA is not docking anybody for eligibility this year. You're a senior this year, you're a senior next year, and so on. So the rosters are going to get kind of crowded now. That's not to say that Tech wouldn't like to have another five guys. It would like to have probably like to have another five guys as we speak right now. But, um, you know, recruits have not been able to come to campus during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so one of the – Sell it. One of the things about recruiting to Texas Tech is you have a lot of you have a lot of kids who have this mis- this perception of Lubbock being a certain way, and uh, they don't really have any interest there until Tech starts recruiting them, and then they get on campus and say, 
oh, this place really. They get to Lubbock and say, wow, this place really is uh, pretty nice. And, it's like a town. Uh, and, and you know, the, the wind is not blowing 40 miles an hour today. It's, yeah, it's uh, just tomorrow. Completely calm, and per- <laughs> completely calm and still and perfect. Um, you know, we heard that, uh, you know, Tyree Wilson yesterday was talking in a news conference and said, coming out of high school, he never saw himself coming to Texas Tech. Yeah. And and gave Tech no, no thought when he's coming out of high school. And when he gets the transfer portal, Tech coaches, the first ones on him. And he said, you know, got a great relationship with Coach Wells. Great relationship with Coach Randolph gets here and, you know, he's, he's fit in fine. And so I think it's why have they not been able to get more kids here for this class? I'd say it's directly a consequence of COVID-19 and not be able to bring guys to campus. Now, I think there's also another thing in play here or at work here, and that is these last two years since Matt Wills has been here, he has had so much success getting grad transfers. Mm-hmm. Zach McPherson, Armand Shine, R.J. Turner. With multiple uh, years, by the way. Multiple yeah. years. It's not your typical one, one and yeah. one grad Yeah, but, but let's name these, though. Zach McPherson, Armand mm-hmm. Shine, Evan Rambo, R.J. Turner. Every one of those guys, yeah, he had all. Um, Jamarcus Ingram, starting for you on Saturday. This year, um, Tari Wilson, called Schooler, mm-hmm. Bradley Randall. Um, I'm forgetting. Oh, Chedarius Townsend. Um, there's two more now. I'm forgetting. But point point being that in the last two years, you brought in about ten guys from other schools, and none of them looks like a, a washout. None of them looks like a bust. They look like guys who can play, and so mm-hmm. um, and be immediate contributors. And so I'm thinking that. If you're Matt Wells, you probably want to leave three or four spots open just because you never know. You never know. I mean, your your hit rate on these guys when you've gone after them it's it's interesting because your hit rate you know Texas Tech has this reputation of being a hard place to recruit for to get high school guys. Yet these grad transfers, Matt Wells' hit rate seems to be like uh, Chris Beard's hit rate almost. Yep. Uh, high-profile transfer, you know, call schooler goes in the portal. Bang. He's going to Texas Tech. Uh, Tyree Wilson goes in the portal. Big-time guy. Goes to Texas Tech. Boyer so Randall. Thinking, pardon? Yeah, yeah so, Boyer so I'm thinking you talked about. So, so I'm thinking if you're, if you're Matt Wilson, you've, you've seen what you can do in, with that avenue. You may not want to be at 85 scholarship guys. You might want to be at uh, – you know, save three or four spots for if you can get a guy who's already physically developed, been in the college weight room for two or three years and is looking for a change of scenery. Um, now, it also, now I should say this, and I, I'm not sure what the NCAA is going to do in terms of, uh, you know, what, what the scholarship limit. I need to go back and look at that. I, th- I think it's not, it could be because everybody, because nobody loses here this year. I think the scholarship limit is uh, that 85 is kind of removed next year. Yeah. In place the year after. And obviously there will be some monetary deals too, where obviously uh, if, if you can keep them, you can keep them, which I'm sure it, it'll be different with some of these power fives and all the other things that you talk about. But yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're going on that. And I apologize for leaving you 
kind of high and dry there while you were thinking about all these transfers. It's just because I remembered for anyone that cares because it's kind of close. Baron Morton out of Eastland is playing Panhandle on uh, Friday in post at 7 p.m. for anyone that wants to watch a uh, Texas Tech uh, quarterback, quarterback, pardon me, signee. So I apologize for that. Uh, Next question here. A little bit more lighthearted question from uh, David Collier, friend of the show, guy that uh, forced himself onto our podcast. Uh, what's your favorite part of the trip to Manhattan, Kansas? Um, you know, I, I like Manhattan, Kansas. So do I. You know, I, I really do not like big cities. I don't like major metro areas. You sure uh, don't. Top 10. Top 10 says it, too. And in terms of uh, – so in terms of uh, – Big 12 destinations, I like Manhattan. Um, speaking purely from a sports writer standpoint or whatever, I guess it also applies to fans. It's one of the easiest stadiums to get into in the Big 12. That's I mean, good to know. I mean, you pull up, I mean, you pull up it's kind of like parking at like Lowry Field almost. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you pull up, it's pretty easy parking, easy access to the – I mean, it's easy to get to the stadium. You don't have a lot of traffic. You don't, get, don't really have much traffic getting there. Yeah. Uh, of course, I guess that's kind of, I guess that's kind of a rule of it this year, anyway, since only 16,000, 15, 16,000 people can go to games regardless. But uh, yeah. it's an easily accessible stadium. And if you get there on Friday, uh, you know, Manhattan is known for Aggieville, which is kind of their uh, restaurant bar district. Yeah, which is kind of tough, uh, tough this year. It's a little, it's a little. Uh, is that kind of COVID shutdown? Uh, a little, uh, little bit of, uh, but anyway, those are convenient places. I like to, I remember it was two years ago when I was there, or four years ago when I was there. They had the uh, scaled-down version of the Kansas State Band. Oh, we were there on Friday night, went to a restaurant, yeah. real good-sized restaurant. I don't remember the name. But they had kind of a scaled-down version of the Kansas State Band that actually marched, came through the restaurant and marching and playing Kansas State stuff. I don't know what the songs were, but uh, – <laughs> and, and Willie the Wildcat. So uh, – Willie. So uh, – yeah, KSU uh, kind of a uh, has been an enjoyable trip to me. That's the that's the fun part. The uh, non-fun part is uh, getting back into the car on Sunday and having eleven hours between uh, Manhattan, Kansas, and Lubbock. Well, if if it's any consolation to anyone to kind of provide a teaser, you won't have to be doing that this this. this yeah, of course. Just go for the couch. I. Uh, uh, I actually will not be. I won't be in Manhattan. This uh, correct. This will be the first tech game that I'll not be physically present at since uh, the Oklahoma game in 2015. I missed. Yeah, which I, which I was going to say, I'm kind of sad about. I missed one Cliff Kingsbury game. I missed. Uh, I was not present for two Tommy Tuberville games. I was not present for one Mike Leach game. And this will be the first yeah. Paul Wells game that I've been physically present for. But you will be there representing us, Carl. So. I will be doing the best oh, I yeah. can, Don, and you will be doing the best you can because you'll enjoy the uh, fact that you can change channels if uh, things go awry, unlike you me, know, where, where I may have to watch watch everything that happens. I'll be watching the game on TV, and uh, but, but I will be in the Zoom press conference postgame. Correct, yeah. And then uh, just to kind of answer my part of uh, Manhattan, it's, and then maybe it's kind of dumb, but I just enjoy seeing all the greenery here. It's kind of nice to see trees and different things that you don't see up in Lubbock, you know. It's kind of nice. Uh, Follow-up to that from John Sokolov, Johnny Sox, who's now Mr. Uh, Stark Vegas in Starksville, Mr. Sports. Well, John Sokolov from Fox 34, he, he, he uh, got a job. Former, in Stark, former Fox 34. 
at the right time. He got the job in Starkville, Mississippi at the right time, huh? He sure did. And uh, from what I understand, he's going to bring up your name. So hopefully Mike Leach doesn't punch him after that. So so we'll see how that works out for him. But uh, he is asking on the uh, on the subject of road trips, what is your snack of choice? And I already know yours because I've driven with you and you know mine. Good old 99 cent sweet tea and some, uh, I can't remember the name of them, but they are a Mexican uh, chip that I, oh, Sabritos. I always munch on those. Yeah, I don't don't really have a preferred snack. My my biggest weakness is I drink way too much soft drink, so I have uh, too many 44-ounce fountain soft drinks, RC Cola, if I can find it, or Dr. Pepper, or Pepsi, or Coke, or what have you. Although, depending on which way we go, I, I can't remember which way we were going, but when we stop in Benjamin, you always got to stop for your barbecue sandwich at that, at that, uh, yeah, at, the, uh, at the old. I think it's a Chisholm's travel stop. Yeah, something like that. But I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a good barbecue sandwich, but random place, you know. Sense, You're right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go for the, uh, I can go for the honey bun, the cinnamon roll, the carrots, uh, yes. cherry, fruit pie, uh, bag of peanuts. And as always, I hope you and I both agree, there is nothing better than an all-subs burrito with some chili. Or not, not the chili, the uh, the sauce. Love all-subs burrito. Yeah, I've had some. Uh, I've had a few of those in my time too. You're right. You're gut bombs, but you eat those when you're driving back. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Ryan Hyatt, your best buddy. How many VH tapes, VHS tapes, does Don Williams have of NHL from the 90s? You know, he says that cynically, sarcastically, and uh, and I think kind of in a, in a joking spirit, but I th- there probably are some VHS tapes of uh, NHL games from the 90s in my... Uh, oh, Dallas Stars? Get some breath. Stars was just, uh, you know, ESPN... ESPN National Hockey Night back in the day. Back in the day, ESPN had what they call National Hockey Night. Yep, sure did. John Buchacross, my man's. Well, I had in my era, Gary Thorne and Bill Clement. Oh, that's right, Gary Thorne, you're right. Were uh, fantastic. In fact, Chris Benini, one of the National Football Writers, posted last week a tweet about this. said, who is your, who is your favorite announcer from any sport at any time? And he said for him, it was Gary Thorne on uh, NHL hockey. And I said, that could be mine because I, when ESPN had National Hockey Night, Gary Thorne was, uh, I, I didn't want to miss it. He's fantastic. And Gary Thorne called the Tech Kansas State game here in Lubbock in 2005. That's what everybody remembers for uh, the Dwayne Slay hit on Alan Deffridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually got to talk to Mr. Thorne. Uh, Hyatt and I did on the radio, and we talked about National Hockey Night, and I bemoaned how <laughs> I loved his call, and I hated that uh, that they no longer had it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Darren Pang was a great uh, color analyst. Darren Pang, you're right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Mike Emmerich is probably one of my favorite play-by-play guys. One, one of the best, at least. I, I feel like if you can if you can play-by-play hockey, you can do anything because that is so tough to to do quickly. I, I, I thought about this when I was talking about the Chris Vanini tweet with yeah. Gary Thorne. A, a good hockey announcer seems reminds me kind of like in West Texas, a comparison would be like in, in West Texas, a good auctioneer because you can, you know, talk fast and uh, have great pace and keep your mm-hmm. wits and just kind of keep that, keep it going, going, going. 
And uh, you got to be ahead of the action. Like that's the thing about yeah, yeah. Including volleyball, same deal. Got to be ahead of it. Last one from Ryan King because he just needs to ask us something. Will Don pack the lime green hoodie just in case there's some surprisingly cold weather? Uh, we already answered that a little bit, but just so you know, I would. I would. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, lo- I looked at this the other day. I looked on the National Weather Service uh, website and the forecast. It may have changed in the last couple of days, but the forecast on, for a couple of days ago for Saturday in Manhattan was 69 degrees, which is very different from what it was two years ago. It's very nice. Nice weather, man. Good you know, weather. 62 ago. right now. 62. So yeah. Two years ago, it was, about, it was right out freezing and sleet and cold wind. and I remember, Your typical weather. And I remember there were a couple of guys, a couple of tech guys who came out pregame you know, like an hour before the game, the yeah. guys got stretching, loosening up, kind of getting loose. And a couple of tech guys came out bare-chested, no tops, just in their just in their football pants. The old mental, mental is the physical, right? Yeah. yeah. Just on that note, uh, one thing before we kind of call this quits, Don. I'm kind of interested. Uh, are you excited about some of these? Uh, conferences deciding that they're going to play later on because we're going to see a lot of snow games this year potentially yeah more except more so than had they uh, decided to go like with the spring, normal spring football plan i just i just cannot get into spring football organized spring football i yeah. mean I'm sure there's spring practice yeah uh, in college football but uh you know spring football leagues um i just have close to zero interest in um like this year, which league was it that started? And one of the attractions was, oh, they're going to have coaches and players mic'd up on the sidelines. So oh, can, the XFL, man. XFL. XFL. So you can know what play is coming. You know, you can know what the call is. And after about three plays, I realized, okay, I know what the call is. But yeah, I, I don't care. I don't care to watch the. I did like the fact that they had uh, – I did like the fact that they mic'd up the refs when they were talking about a, a reviewed play. I did appreciate that. I thought that was kind of interesting to maybe add to college foot, like NCAA college football. I thought that was cool or even the NFL. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's tough to get into spring football. So, so yeah, back to your original point. Yes, I'm, I'm glad that uh, – I'm glad that the uh, Big Ten and, you know, these conferences decided to pick back up and, and – and, and play in the fall, even though they're gonna, even though they're going to be late starting, even though it's going to cause the season to be disjointed. Even though you'll have some teams play in this many games and other teams play in that many games, mm-hmm. um, still glad to see that it will be uh, most all you know, most all the teams that you want to see play will be playing in a fairly same time frame and building toward. Uh, some form of college football playoff. And, yeah. And, and how about this, Carlson? You know, bowl games. Uh, no. Anyone can be in a bowl. No, no requirement. No requirement on bowl games this year. Yeah, you could have a winless team in a bowl game if you really wanted to. I don't think, you know, it won't degenerate to that point. Obviously. Well, yeah, it, it won't. I mean, it's a possibility. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You, know, cool. you, could have like a, you could have like a four six Texas Tech has a chance to do that when they take on Kansas State this weekend. Get get closer to bowl eligibility. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at Iowa State next week, and yep. then another one of those open dates before they're back home on the 24th to play. It's going to be a month, right? month until they get back 
into the old Jones. West, West Virginia on October 24th, if I yeah. Yeah. remember correctly. Yes, I am. West Virginia on October 24th at Jones Stadium, Oklahoma on Halloween at Jones Stadium. Those there are the two home games. There you go. Well, I'm good, man. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day because I know this is usually a little bit longer than what we normally want, but for some reason, Zoom didn't tell me it was uh, the 10 minute mark, so I'm assuming we're okay. Okay. Well, we'll put a, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up then. We appreciate everybody uh, uh, listening and joining us on the uh, Red Raiders podcast. Um, again, Texas Tech and Kansas State, it's 2.30 p.m. Saturday, and uh, Fox Sports 1 has the telecast. And Carlos is going to be there. I'll be watching like the common man at home. Uh, and then uh, we'll, have full, we'll have full coverage leading up to the game and then uh, day of and after the game as well. So, uh, so uh, you can find our work on lubbockonline.com. On Twitter, I'm at AJ underscore Don Williams. Carlos is at CM Silva Jr. And one more thing, don't forget, I'm talking to Ryan Black, the sports editor of the Mercury or Manhattan Mercury, pardon me, about Kansas State for a little bit. So if you want a little bit more uh, Kansas State uh, breakdown, we'll have that after Don says goodbye. All right, that'll wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for listening in. We'll talk to you again soon. everyone this is carlos silva from the aj that beat the lubbock avalanche journal bringing you the second edition or second part portion of the red raider podcast this week as texas tech looks to go on the road for the first time this week and take on kansas state so in that on that note we've got a guy that's covered the kansas state wildcats for the last couple of years and a good buddy of mine ryan black the sports editor of the mercury manhattan mercury pardon me how you doing ryan hey Man, I'm doing pretty well tonight. How about you? Not too bad. It's a little chilly in Manhattan right now for those that are, aren't uh, expecting very cold weather uh, coming from Lubbock. I believe it's 100 or so in Texas, so a little little chilly for those that are deciding to make the trip up here. But certainly some weather that Kansas State's used to. But uh, just to give people a little bit of a summary, we're going to look to talk a little bit about Kansas State. Obviously the big win for the Wildcats last week over Oklahoma a game you were at. So I guess just let, let's just start with that. Um, I know other than maybe inside the locker room, was there anyone that felt like Kansas state had a chance? And if so, why last week against the Sooners? Uh, hmm. Well, certainly odds makers didn't. Uh, there's a reason that they were four touchdown or dogs. Uh, neither myself nor my co like my other sport writer at the Mercury picked K state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not aware off the top of my head of anybody of note who picked K-State among media people. So I would say, you know, outside of, of, of the players in the locker room, like you said, maybe their parents and girlfriends and people, yeah. who, you know, people who are just incredible K-State fans who could never pick their team to lose. No, I don't think any, anyone who was saying about it rationally, uh, Carlos, would, would have picked them. I mean, I would say that, you know, may, maybe the one thing, if you were trying to make somewhat of a logical argument about why it could happen, is okay. I mean, there 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 is something to be said that they they did beat Oklahoma last year, so there are players who who know what it's like to beat to beat them, 
there was the fact that, hey, I mean, it's only the second career start for Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma's quarterback. So, so it was going to be the first career start in, in a Big 12 game. Certainly a big, 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 big step up from Missouri State and playing them. Um, and then I would just say the fact that, again, you just – you never really know with the way things are right now, right? Like, who knows – the day before the game, who wasn't going to be available for Oklahoma, right? You know, just with the COVID stuff. So, um, I, I think, like I said, th- th- there was a slight, slight, slight argument to be made. You know, but even with that, you would have said K-State would have to do what they were doing uh, even when they got down, you know, 21, where they were, they were winning the turnover battle pretty pretty decisively at the time, and they were still down by 21. So, I'm saying that, that you know, the, the recipe for K-State – you know, to win the game would be winning the turnover battle and then, of course, coming up with some a, a key player or two on special teams, which is exactly what they did again by getting a blocked punt. So um, I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, Carlos, but I would say no. Uh, if I should have just answered it succinctly, I would have said no. No one, no one who was being rational about it would have, would have picked K-State to win the game going into last week. But here's the thing. If you would have said that, then this would have been a really short podcast. And that's- yeah, see, there you go. Yeah, so so. <laughs> fill, in, fill in air time. Yeah, so uh, obviously with that explanation, I think that's a a pretty good summation of how everyone felt other than, like I mentioned, the guys in the locker room, the guys that believe, Chris Kleiman and kind of everyone there. So you being at the game in Norman, what did you see from Kansas State that was so much different? I know Texas Tech and them kind of shared the same – I would say first game in terms of they were expected to win by a lot against their first non-conference opponent, Kansas State, taking on Arkansas State at home, Texas Tech taking on Houston Baptist at home. Both took them to the fourth quarter. Texas Tech was able to get their victory. Kansas State was not. I guess what kind of changed from that first game to that second game that just made Kansas State either believe? Because certainly there's a lot of gumption you need to have and grit, pardon me, to be able to make that type of comeback. If I'm not mistaken, 31-7, they outscored them in the last uh, third uh, third quarter to maybe the fourth. I know they, I know for sure they uh, shut them out in the fourth. Yeah, well, maybe, and it was it was 24 unanswered points to win the game. There you uh, go. Because again, they were they were down 35-14 uh, and then scored you know 38. Uh, yeah, the final score to be in 38-35. So in in terms of like so maybe what changed from the week one, you know, opening loss to Arkansas State to, to then that incredible comeback last week against Oklahoma. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of talk after that loss and then in, in, during the open date about just like that there were things in the program that just maybe weren't where they needed to be. And, and again, they were things, you know, I've talked about this with other people. They were things that you know, after, they usually wouldn't maybe expect to hear after an opening game loss. Like, they weren't things like, oh, we just didn't do this or do that on the field. Like, they sound like much more like – like more within the confines of the program, players and coaches didn't feel like certain things were where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least for K-State, uh, that open date was a, was a great thing. I'm sure for other teams, they're like, no, we got into a rhythm now. We should have just we, – we would have wanted to keep playing. But I think for K-State specifically – you know, and they've kind of refused to go into any detail about what it meant. I'm not sure. But but what it seems like to me is that maybe there were certain players who were expected to be leaders and weren't taking ownership of certain things. And I think they were kind of called out by their teammates about it. And I think now that, uh, you know, that they were all on the same page, that certainly didn't hurt uh, going into Norman. I, I would tell you that another thing is a more tangible 
factor was having Khalid Duke, uh, a defensive end who, you know, we heard so much about during the preseason. Yeah. Like it seemed like every Zoom teleconference that we had, somebody, whether it was a coach or a player, was going to bring up how impressive he had been. Well, he wasn't able to play in the opener. And, you know, last week he was able to play and he made, you know, not, not just plays that showed up on the stat sheet, but the ones that don't that affected the game. And, and, and I just think that um, what's funny in a way is that, that, you know, Rattler got rattled. I, I just think that he was not used to facing the kind of pressure that as the game went on, K-State was able to apply more and more and more and more. And, I mean, there's a reason he ended up throwing three interceptions, including the one at the very end of the game, you know, when they still had a chance to either tie yeah. or win, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, I'm not sitting here, you know, Carlos, saying that team that the K-State beat is, is up to the par of what Oklahoma's been in recent years. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're pretty solid, I think. And uh, I think it's be very interesting to watch where both those teams go from here. From your perspective, did you see much of a drop-off? Because a, a lot was made about Kansas State's back end not having five – five players who would have played as defensive backs or, you know, just on the back end of that defense. And uh, did, did you just kind of see them get better? Did you see them kind of just figure out a way to not allow Spencer Rattler to kind of go off, so to speak? Or I guess, what, what did you see from that? And, and what does that kind of tell you about the resilience of this team where you can be out so many guys, especially some, some big name players that could make some plays for you and they were still able to plug in some guys and still, still be successful. Yeah, I, I definitely there, – there's something to be said for that. Now, I would say, again, in, in the first half, uh, again, you know, Spencer Rattler went 17 of 19, you know. So, he, he still had a lot of success. But those two – the two incompletions were two interceptions for K-State. So, you know, and it was something that I wrote about afterward. In a way, when you really think about it, I mean, who th- those interceptions really ended up being a lot more important later on than they were mm-hmm. at the time, right? Because yeah. I mean, those are two drives that Oklahoma potentially could have put more points on the board that now those were wiped away. And now come the end of a game where you lost by three points, hey, having two drives in the first half where you could have ended up scoring, that's pretty doggone costly. And so like I said, so I'm not going to sit and tell you, oh, in the first half they shut them down, because that's certainly not the point. But they made two key plays when they needed to. Uh, one was a tipped, a tipped uh, kind of pass that was intercepted by – by linebacker Eli Sullivan. The other one was Justin Gardner, who is one of those guys who had to step into the lineup, as you're referring to. And he made like a a very nice, you know, diving as he was falling backward away from the ball, uh, was able to – I think the pass was intended for Marvin Mims, and he was able to get up in front of him and and catch it. So – and like I said, though, I do think after that, though, especially as things got into the fourth quarter, you saw that secondary playing with more and more and more and more confidence. So I do think, like I said, there's something to be said for – once you start having some success and once you start getting stops on that Oklahoma offense like they were, hey, that, that, I mean, that's going to just breed confidence. And, and I think, again, it, it obviously ended up showing as the game went on. It's funny you mentioned that, that one possession that kind of changed – or the, the two interceptions that changed things later on. One thing that Kansas State has been well known to do with Bill Snyder and even now with uh, Chris Kleiman is special teams. Blake Lynch obviously with that big clutch field goal, which ended up being the game winner for them. But – I guess from your perspective, have you kind of seen Kansas State still keep the same DNA that Bill Snyder's had on it, or have you seen him change a little bit other than the fact that maybe Skylar Thompson has kind of been really, really good and underrated so far the last couple of years? And now we're talking about specifically about the special teams? Yeah, so, so I guess have you kind of seen 
the Kansas State team just kind of still stick with the special teams or have you kind of seen anything else kind of change with them? Well, I mean, one thing about the special teams specifically is that it used to kind of be under the, the aegis of Bill Snyder's son, Sean Snyder, who mm-hmm. after Kleiman took over, Sean was still around the program, but he was an off-field analyst. So mm-hmm. he obviously had, did not have a game day coaching role anymore. And now he's gone to Southern Cal. And so the, really the only thing that's really changed, because again, this staff emphasizes special teams, I feel like as much as the previous staff did. The difference is, like I said, instead of, having, instead of having one dedicated coordinator like Sean Snyder was, it's kind of a collective effort with a bunch of the different coaches on staff handling different aspects of it. But like you're kind of mentioning, I mean, that's two games in a row. They, they've had a blocked punt. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Joshua Youngblood last year was an All-American kick returner. Yep. They, they returned punt for touchdown. Uh, and Blake Lynch, again, had, had a fantastic season as well, kicking the ball. So even though the methods might be slightly different in terms of, uh, you know, just in terms of how they coach certain things, there's no question that, it, that special teams are still emphasized every bit as much as they were under Bill Snyder. So I know special teams is kind of what Kansas State's known for, but a, a guy that I kind of mentioned before, Skylar Thompson, mm-hmm. he's yeah. a little bit of an underrated quarterback, especially with what he's done. He's got three yeah. over top ten teams over the last couple of years, including two against Oklahoma the last two years. Yeah, and you know what's, what's, what's kind of crazy is in a way uh, his legend kind of – in a way, kind of came close to starting down there, and, and I'm sure you remember this game, was the game at Texas Tech yep. uh, a few years ago, you know, where he led, which at the time what was a K-State record, was like an 11-point fourth-quarter comeback, and then they ended up winning, uh, you know, in, in overtime. But, like, those – like, it was at that very early po- portion of his career when he was getting playing time because that was the year that I, I joined uh, the beat. I, I covered – you know, I got into the – I got to the, the – uh, the job mid-season, and yeah. uh, their starter that year, Jesse Ertz, had already gone down with injury. Well, then after that, their backup, Alex Delton, you know, who ended up transferring to TCU, also went down with with an injury. And so Skyler had to step in and and uh, you know make something happen. And, and and again, just from very early on, his his teammates saw that hey, I mean, this is a guy that it just seems like when the stakes are the highest, he plays he plays as as good as you can. And um, like I said. I definitely think you could say he's underrated because, yeah, he, he doesn't have – and I think what, what really is the biggest reason he doesn't get that, the accolades and maybe some other people – no, his record is not sparkling. You know, it's not like he's 16-1 and one as a starter or right. something. I mean, he, he's, he's had a few uneven, uneven performances, and K-State's has you know, had some, some rough losses while he's been quarterback. But, you know, hey, he's had – and you've probably heard this stat repeated a few times now, but, I mean, he's the first quarterback in K-State history to beat, you know, three top ten teams during his career. I mean, that's something that no matter what else happens the rest of his career, that's something he can hang his hat on. Yeah. And certainly he's going to look to hopefully add another win against Texas Tech when they do travel up to Manhattan for that 2.30 p.m. game on FS1 on Saturday. So for you, when you've been kind of watching Texas Tech or watching Kansas State, do you see anything that can kind of turn the tide for either? I feel like special teams could be a big deal because Texas Tech got a block punt against Texas. They were able to kind of change the momentum with an onside kick. Do you feel like that could be something, or is there something else that you kind of see as an X factor in this contest? Well, you know, I mean, I, I just think, and I know it's an easy answer, but, I mean, you did bring it up. I, I, I just feel like special teams at so many places are just kind of the, oh, well, who really who really thinks about that? I mean, you either got a yeah. great offense or great defense, and then that's going to win or lose you the game. 
But I think especially, and there's something to be said for this, Carlos, you know, when you're a K-State or you're a Texas Tech and you're not necessarily getting the four- and five-star guys every single year in recruiting like Texas and Oklahoma might be, hey, that, that's, I think, where special teams matter even more is mm-hmm. when you're having to overcome maybe certain deficiencies in other areas just because you don't have maybe the depth of talent, you know, that another school might. And, and so, like I said, I, I think it'd be – like I said, if K-State can get a block punt for the third game in a row, uh, I mean, that would be pretty incredible. But but really the thing I'm going to be looking for uh, – and I'm, I am glad you brought up Blake Lynch because I'm going to go off for, for one second on a little second thing. Was that – you know, and it was what, something that I kind of wrote about in one of my post-game analysis things, was that in that opener that they lost to Arkansas State, they lost 35-31, he missed two out of his three field goal attempts. Well, coming into that game, in his career, he'd made 33 of 37 field goals. And so, you know, I asked him after he kicks this game winner on, on Saturday, you know, had you ever had a game in your life since you've been a kicker that you missed two field goals in a game? He's like, no. So I think it was very fair to wonder what, how was he going to respond to that in his first game yeah. uh, coming back from the first time he's ever struggled. Well, you saw he, he pretty much uh, responded pretty well, right? I mean, kicking yeah. the go-ahead 50-yard field goal. So now that I feel like, well, he's back to where he needs to be, the thing that's still trying to get back to where it wants to be is the kick return game. Because yeah. and I know maybe people are a lot more aware of Josh Youngblood now, for sure, after last year. But, like, their kick return has been, you know, just kind of meh. They, they've been pretty just middle of the road since the season started. And I feel like um, that that's the kind of thing that I'd be looking for as a potential X factor is if K-State can find – or, hey, if it is X-State, if one of the teams can do something on kick return or punt return. So on that note, uh, is there anything to say about Texas Tech's offense against Kansas State's defense, which, I, I mean, for lack of a better term, they probably played about as well as they could have down with all those guys, and they were able to slow down a Big 12 offense that everyone expected was going to be very explosive, which you could make the argument that Texas Tech is just as explosive, but do you kind of feel like that could be something else that people should watch out for? Yeah, and I think, you know, another thing that, that maybe hadn't been brought up enough uh, from the Oklahoma game was the, that was only the second game that, that K-State's had a, a new defensive coordinator. Now, now granted – Joe Klanderman has been on – was on staff last year. He's worked with Chris Klein and the head coach for a long time. But, hey, right, I mean, it's a big it's a big difference between being just a game day coach where you're maybe coaching your unit as opposed mm-hmm. to being the guy who has to make all the calls. Yeah. And I'm sure that you remember last time Texas Tech came to Manhattan, Kansas State basically had all the answers defensively. Yes, I mean, it, it was – I mean, right, it was the first time in, man, quite a few years that, that, that Texas Tech – had been held out of the end zone. They only ended up scoring six points. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I think, to me, about as good a performance as you could ever expect. Uh, I mean, facing a Texas Tech offense. Uh, I, would be, I would be shocked if K-State comes anywhere close to doing that, you know, Saturday, yeah. uh, holding a Texas Tech to six points. But, you know, I, I do think it would help K-State a lot in, in their efforts of trying to slow this team down if they do get some of these, these key guys back that they lost last week. I mean, it is, it, it is helpful that maybe now they've developed more depth in the secondary in terms of players they trust. But, hey, you want the guys who would have been your starters. There's a reason that they were, that, that they were at the top of the depth chart, right? They didn't just give them the spot. I mean, they'd done stuff during preseason, and they've mm-hmm. earned it since they've been back at practice. They're, they're, you know, that, that's why they were supposed to be starting last week. So I, I think if, if they can get 
if they can get Keandre Thomas and they can get back Lance Robinson, two, two of the players who missed last week, and they can get back uh, Ryan Hennington for depth purposes, he, he kind of works in there at, at nickel. Yeah, I, I think that would be a huge benefit for K-State on Saturday. Once again, that's Ryan Black, the sports editor and the Kansas State beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury in Manhattan, Kansas. You can follow him at Ryan A. Black on Twitter. You can also follow me at CM Silva Jr. on Twitter if you need some updates from the game. Starting at 2.30 Saturday, you can also watch it on FS1 or you can check out the LubbockOnline.com and as well on the print version on Saturday and Sunday as we do all that coverage as well. Ryan, once again, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate all the uh, insight. And then, of course, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that Chipotle today. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Once again, this has been another edition of the Red Raider Podcast. I'm Carlos Silva for Ryan Black and Don Williams. Talk to you next week.